This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day today. Got a great show coming up for you. Got a lot to talk about. Sarah McClellan covers the Minnesota Wild for the Star Tribune. Will join me here in a little while to talk about the draft. Tonight is the NHL draft first round. Wild has two picks in the first round thanks to the Kevin Fiala trade last week. Sarah and I will talk about that trade, what it means for the Wild's depth chart, and what they might be kind of targeting with the draft. Also, um, after I talked to Sarah yesterday, recorded that segment yesterday morning for the show, um, <clears throat> kind of a troubling, interesting report emerging about Kirill Kaprizov and um, his status and what's uh, what's going on in Russia right now. I'll explain that in a little while as well, but something to monitor this offseason for sure. Got to talk Twins, blew a lead, kept their four-and-a-half game lead in the AL Central, actually blew five leads um, in yesterday's game and still took two out of three from Chicago. There's this dichotomy happening where Twins are actually pretty good this year, and all I get is negative comments from fans about managing bullpen this, Rocco Baldelli that. Um, so I'm going to get into that a little bit. I talked about that a little bit on Wednesday's show as well, but it feels like it's a good time to revisit that and, and to revisit that it's not just the bullpen's fault, that the that the Twins need to get a little bit more from their starting pitching or maybe change their philosophy just a little bit as well so that the bullpen is not tasked with doing so much. Links um, on a roll going into the All-Star break. We'll get into that at the end of the show. But first, what did I miss? Got to talk Rudy Gobert, third show in a row. I know maybe you're getting sick of it, but he was introduced to the media on Wednesday. And it's just a, it's a fascinating story. This this is going to be, you know, this is the, this is the Timberwolves story of you know, the next three to five years. How does Rudy Gobert fit here? How did the trade, that massive haul they gave up with four four draft picks and, and this year's draft picks, really five first-round picks if you count um, this year's first-round pick as well, Walker Kessler going to Utah in that deal, plus you know, Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, uh, Malik Beasley, guys who played important roles on getting the Wolves to the playoffs for the first time in four seasons a year ago. How... Does one player coming back impact all of that? And I think that was, a, that was kind of a, a big piece of Gobert's introductory news conference on Wednesday. Not just getting to know you, but what? how does this all fit together? Um, and specifically, how does Gobert pair with Carl Anthony Towns, who, of course, has traditionally been the center on this team and now presumably you know, moves to more of a power forward role as Gobert 7'1", slots in next to the seven-foot towns and, you know, takes on more of those traditional center duties of, you know, pick and roll, um, you know, pick and roll offense, rim protection, things like that. While towns presumably still does some of that, but also, you know, it is able to be a little bit more free on the perimeter, can post up smaller guys, things like that. Um, so I, I want to play a clip from Gobert that I thought was interesting. First, though, a little context. I saw an interesting stat from Dane Moore. does a great job with his Timberwolves podcast as well. Friend of this show. 
um, said Rudy Gobert was the most effective pick and roll man scorer in the NBA last season. Had 1.32 points per possession when Rudy Gobert was in a pick and roll. Carl Anthony Towns was the most effective pick and roll a pick and roll pop man scorer in the NBA last season. 1.185 points per, per possession. So the pop man basically, instead of rolling to the basket, you drift out. Maybe shoots a three. Towns great in those scenarios. Frees him up for you know shots over smaller players in a lot of cases. Open looks. And Cat is deadly in those kind of catch and shoot scenarios off of the pick and pop. So that's a way that that can work offensively with these two guys. That both of them have specific skills in the pick and roll in the you know in, in the screen game that should benefit the Wolves. And more to the point of what Gobert adds, the dimension he adds in this case is being able to score on lobs, easy baskets inside. You can't coach height. He's just a different 7-1 than Towns is. He didn't throw a lot of lobs to Towns. I can't remember the Wolves barely throwing any lobs at all last season. Gobert had a ton of them with Utah and figures to get more with the Wolves. And so here is Gobert talking a little bit more about that fit, wanting to kind of expand Minnesota's lob game and how that how that all will come together. The spacing that uh, we get for them uh, with my screening, with my uh, rim gravity when I roll to the basket and, and also my, my passing that I think, you know, uh, I'm going to be able to showcase even more this year. Um, you know, all those things I think going to allow them to, to be even better. And, and uh, that coupled obviously with, with the spacing that Cat is going to provide and, and, um, and I think the way we're going to play, um, you know, they're going to, I think they're going to be able to get a lot of more easy looks that they've been able to, to get uh, the previous years. And, and just uh, they, don't, they haven't been throwing a lot of lobs over the last few years, but I think now, you know, uh, we're going to work on that. And, and uh, it's another weapon that, you know, I think is really hard to guard. And I'm really excited. There's so many things, obviously, that we can talk about that we're going to be able to do on the floor. And, and that's what's going to make us unique is that we, we're going to be able to have uh, so many different weapons and so many different ways of uh, playing together. Now, similarly, uh, New Wolves uh, President Tim Connolly spoke to the idea of the fit with Gobert and Towns as well. You know, really talking about how bringing in Gobert isn't just about adding one piece. It's about how this all fits together, and he's pretty excited about how that all comes together. He doesn't inhibit anything we have presently. He makes it better. You know, he, he augments what we have presently. So... When you look at fit, it's not just about talent. It's about kind of developing a team. And when you see Cat and you see D'Lo and you see Ant and these guys, um, he's just going to make them better without kind of putting a roadblock on some of the natural progression we've seen the last couple of years. Now, listen, time will tell. Time, time is the great, um, the great equalizer. That we, 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 we can speculate all we want. We can think we know how this deal is going to play out. We can... You know, wonder if the Wolves gave up too much, and Connolly was pretty frank about that, saying, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see what the price was paid if that ends up being, you know, he said hopefully it'll end up being a win-win for both the Wolves and the Jazz, that they will both be improved by this deal. Um, but to me, the two things that stand out are, A, I feel like 
right now, this has the potential to be a top five starting lineup in the NBA when you just go top to bottom when we're talking about D'Angelo Russell still being here for all of his ups and downs last season. He should get better with this move. Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels now at the three, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. If Chris Finch, who you know is very good at making these things work, is very good at kind of having these things piece together, if he is able to kind of put these guys in the most effective situations, and there's no reason to think he won't, this has the potential to be a top five starting lineup in the NBA. And when you have a top five starting lineup, you are immediately a deep playoff contender. That, that is what I would say to that. Two, I believe this gives the Wolves a better chance to withstand absences to some of their better players. You'd never want anybody to miss time, but it's almost inevitable in the NBA. Someone will you know, turn an ankle. Somebody will... You know, need a rest on the second day of a back-to-back um, illness, fa- you know, family situation, things like that. There will be times when some of the Wolves' best players are out of their starting lineup. Having one more all-NBA caliber player in the mix gives them a much better chance to withstand that than they had in previous years. And how many years, how many Wolves seasons have been torpedoed? by one injury. I don't think their season will be torpedoed by one injury anymore. But again, time will tell with all of this. That is the nature of the business. That is the nature of the game. But I don't think you could look at at, at his introductory news conference at Gobert's introductory news conference and come away anything other than optimistic about how this all will fit together. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Sarah McClellan, covers the Wild, of course, for the Star Tribune. Sarah, I think the last time we talked, it was maybe kind of right into the offseason. We were kind of gearing up for the start of you know what this offseason could bring for the Wild. And the biggest thing on the docket was a potential Kevin Fiala resolution, which seemed like it was going to be a trade, which did happen last week. I want to get into that with you, and I also want to get forward a little bit because the draft starts Thursday night. You will be there, and the Wild has two first-round picks in that draft, um, one of them courtesy of that Kevin Fiala trade that we're going to talk about. So interesting there. Obviously, you know, draft picks don't usually help right away, but there is, you know, it does. It's it's an organizational depth kind of thing, and as we you know think about the future and what these next three to five years will hold, those will be important pieces of it. Um, but Sarah, before we get to that, the, the Kevin Fiala trade I, from, you know, judging from, you know, kind of the standpoint of, we kind of knew they had to do this or we're going to be in a position where unless they traded two or three other guys, like Bill Guerin said, they were going to have to make this move to, to be financially viable with the salary cap. How do you think they came out in this deal? It was a return, I think, that really obviously made sense for the state of this franchise, even though Kevin Fiala was a bona fide roster top six winger for this team. 
getting back that caliber of player just didn't make sense. It wasn't in the cards. This was a return that pretty much had to center around futures prospect, a pick uh, to make sense because of the money situation. You know, this was a reality, obviously indicative of the team being in a salary cap crunch. And so taking money back on the books, just, just wasn't going to work. So to get another first round pick at 19 from Los Angeles, and then obviously a prospect in defenseman and Gophers player, Brock Faber, um, it obviously shores up areas of this organization that the team will likely need to rely on uh, over these next few years while they're still dealing with a pinch financially. So it, it made a lot of sense. Like you said, it kind of was an inevitable uh, outcome that the two sides weren't going to be able to continue uh, this partnership just with the way the team's financial outlet looks. And Fiala obviously looking at the contract that he received from the Kings, um, clearly it was a price tag that the Wild simply couldn't afford. Yeah, like you wrote, um, I think it was in Wednesday's paper and on starttobean.com, we, we, you had access to Kevin Fiala via a, a video conference call, I believe, with uh, with reporters. And now that this is you know, finalized and he's gotten his deal with the Kings, a couple points on that first what how what was the what was his tone did he feel like he is happy with how this played out eventually especially since he kind of probably had a pretty good idea all all, the, all along the way that this was probably what was going to happen yeah you know this wasn't something that he concentrated on during the season when he was playing but you know he said in the back you know of his mind he kind of obviously knew like what's going to happen wondering and then obviously it just gets to the point where he realizes this might not work. And, and it just kind of sounded like it is what it is for him. And obviously he moves on to a place in Los Angeles with the team in the Kings that he said he's very happy about. Obviously um, it's a team that he felt was obviously up and coming. The Kings were back in the playoffs last season um, and he could easily slot into a top line situation alongside Anze Kopitar and Adrian Kempe, um, which could be a really dynamic line, you know, not only in that division, but in the Western conference. So it's a situation that obviously clicks for Fiala but the contract the trade it really is also indicative of what he accomplished with the wild the fact that he played to the level to receive that type of contract to become a 30 goal scorer to round out his game where someone who at times was prone to turnovers was now uh, being much cleaner in the defensive end and even meriting penalty kill opportunities all the while growing his offensive game and how he could contribute offensively. So he leaves the Wilds, you know, a much more polished player than when he arrived. And I think, you know, that growth will obviously be part of the legacy that he achieved while with the team. It's an unusual move just from the standpoint of you don't usually see a team with cup aspirations subtracting from its active pool of players, but their economic realities of it, certainly part of that. And, you know, this is traced back to, last season when they only gave him the the one year in, in restricted free agency, kind of setting the stage for this. Do you, my sense is that this was kind of twofold. One that Bill Guerin kind of knew they were going to need the the flexibility at a certain point to, and they couldn't carry everybody on expensive long, long-term contracts, but also felt to me like as good as Fiala was last year and as good as you know his numbers were that 
that Bill Guerin was never quite a member of the Kevin Fiala fan club. Am I off base on that? Do you feel like this is mostly rooted in economics or do you feel like he still felt there were holes in Kevin Fiala's game? I think it was about the financial picture for this team. Um, You know, you could, like I said, just to see the growth that he had, he was able to blossom, you know, into that player amid the opportunity that this team gave him. Obviously he was very familiar with Dean Evison behind the bench as wild head coach who coached him previously when he was in the Nashville organization. So this really did feel like a money, you know, reality uh, for the team because he was someone who contributed to the level of a 30 goal score. And how often do you see teams trade away 30 goal scores? It just, it didn't fit financially. And, you know, as you mentioned, if they were to try to keep him, it would have created other holes elsewhere in the lineup because it would have required them to move out multiple players. Um, so it's, I, I really think that is the key takeaway from this situation. And it, at, it is at a position at forward where there is a crew of prospects at that position that is in the pipeline, whether or not any of them are ready to take on full-time roles this se- this upcoming season is to be determined, but it is a base that is growing for the wild and obviously, you know, a group or a position potentially that the team could bolster at this year's draft. Yeah, it kind of leads me to a couple of things. One, you know, being in the immediate replacement for a top six forward. I mean, as you know, they'll they'll start up camp here in, in, in a little while. They'll take some time off in the summer, obviously, still. But as you think about candidates to, you know, how, how those lines might look, I mean, they've had to juggle at times when players were out, things like that. So we've seen different combinations. How do you think they accommodate for this loss? Because it does leave a hole in the lineup. It probably is an internal candidate, just kind of looking again at the math, but then just at who signed and at the depth chart. Now, could that be a prospect turn pro? Maybe somebody like a Marco Rossi that could jump up into a top six line potentially if he makes the team and looks like he's ready for regular NHL minutes? Or is it maybe somebody who's already on the roster that they kind of juggle with, you know, maybe giving a look to, you know, a a Tyson Jost or another forward? Obviously, we know that the Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson, Marcus Flino line has been really solid. Um, So maybe there's some juggling you know, internally, if it is still a Matt Boldy, Freddie Goudreau combination that stays together, you know, alongside what is now the whole of where Kevin Fiala played, it just doesn't look like there is, you know, the, the, the salary cap space available to go out and sign someone. A trade maybe could make it, you know, put as a potential possibility. But again, it, it probably has to be money in, money out because, the limited salary cap space that this team has right now is probably going to need to be allocated to filling some other needs, which is signing a goalie. We know that they want to try to re-sign Marc-Andre Fleury. And then they also have Jake Middleton on defense, a restricted free agent. So to sign those two players, maybe that leaves a little extra left for maybe a forward, but it's probably a depth forward. It's probably somebody to fill out a fourth line um, and probably obviously then wouldn't translate to playing higher up in the lineup like Fiala. So training camp, I think will be very telling and, and, you know, maybe that is when the experimentation happens and the team can maybe find somebody in the system currently on the roster to fill out that void. 
Does the emergence of Boldy make this a little more palatable? Do you think just the fact that he looked so good in his in his his rookie season that not that you ever want to lose someone like Kevin Fiala, but that you say okay, um, not that we should expect that from everybody who comes up, but that that they probably feel pretty good about him being a, a top nine forward right now. And and if he hadn't emerged, that might have left a line very short as opposed to one player short. I think so. And not just, I guess you could look at it in one, one realm that like, well, he and Fiala had such good chemistry. Now you're going to miss that, that maybe that spark. But on the flip side, I think you could also look at it as, you know, who else might be able to click now with Matt Boldy? You know, those two work so well together. Who else might benefit from playing alongside Matt Boldy? Because obviously the chemistry that Fiala developed with Boldy um, really coincided also with his game taking off in the second half of the season. So uh, you're right. I think that's a really important factor to point out is that the emergence of Matt Boldy not only maybe helps, you know, pick up some of the slack offensively, but maybe it opens the door for somebody else to, you know, get that burst. And, you know, those two can maybe find some chemistry a la Boldy and Fiala. And again, maybe help pick up some of that production. Let's move our attention to the draft. The wild courtesy of that Fiala trade, like I said, now have the number 19 pick from Los Angeles in addition to their own pick, which I believe is 24th. Um, So they've got, you know, two picks in the bottom, you know, the, the second half of the first round, but still good value to be had there opportunities to move around the board. I'm sure if Bill Guerin wants to do that, um, you know, speculating on who might get chosen at 19 and 24 is kind of a fool's errand because anything can happen with those first 18 picks. You don't really know who will be available. That said, do they have organizational depth needs, things they might be trying to address here or certain types of players, you know, certain characteristics that they might be looking for at these, uh, at these spots? It's an organizational philosophy to draft the best player available. And, 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 you know, that's nothing new. That's very obviously a popular belief around the league. But just looking at this draft class, especially in the first round, you can kind of see what that could entail. Um, although last season the team drafted a goaltender with its first pick, um, there isn't that type of, of positional depth. Or, or, you know, just availability in this first round. So it really points to a forward or a defenseman even uh, being available and, you know, potentially being the most talented when they're on the clock. Um, I, I think still, you know, even though this was more of a normal season and it was more of a normal scouting season for teams, I think we're still seeing some of the residual effects of the interruption of the pandemic on players' development. So I, I think there is some variability and some unpredictability, clearly, like you said, as you maybe get past, you know, the top three, the top five. Um, but I, I think some of the, you know, the skill sets that still jump off the page are there. Um, high skill, you know, some speed, uh, puck moving, power play tendencies, you know, on the back end, up front. I think still the characteristics that teams like to identify and, and like I said, bolster with their pipeline are still going to be there and available for the wild. And I think having the two picks, and it's something that, you know, the Judd Brackett, the team's amateur scouting director pointed out is it does kind of maybe let the team have that flexibility to maybe in his words, kind of take a bigger swing and, you know, having these picks and having eight overall um, going into the draft 
um, maybe there is that opportunity there um, to tap into that, you know, like I said, predictability and maybe, you know, the difference of opinion on players that have just maybe had different developments because not everyone has maybe played the same amount of games um, with the interruption to their season. So um, I, I think though, again, it, it's best player available, it's talent. And obviously, you know, you can look at the position center defense, some, some key ones, um, and maybe that's considered, but still at the end of the day, it's taking the best player available. That's gotta be kind of interesting too. Final thought here. Like they, as you think about best player available, I imagine you're thinking about stylistically to a certain degree too, like what kind of player fits the system they want to run. But at the same time, you don't know if that system is going to be the same when these guys are ready. So it's probably a little bit of, you know, trying to, trying to forecast everything about the draft is forecasting the future, but I, I imagine they get kind of not trapped, but kind of the thinking in that has got to be kind of complicated when you're trying to say, well, this guy plays the way we want to play, but is that the way the league is going to be in three years? So I, I wonder how they kind of navigate that thing, that, that, that piece of it. And what could be a roster need right now in 2022 may not be a roster need in 2025 when, say, a player is potentially ready to make the jump to the NHL. So it really is tough to predict. And I think that's why scouts and teams fall back on this best player available, identifying the traits that have the best projection to translate just to the pro game, to the NHL, because so much can change. Rosters can evolve. Like I said, you know, a team lacking in center depth today might not be in a year or two. And so it's a constant evolution. And I think, again, that's why it goes back to just honing in on and identifying the, the traits and the characteristics, the skill, the speed, skating ability, hockey IQ is a big one as well. Um, just that headiness and awareness to be able to eventually one day play at this level. Well, it'll all start to unfold Thursday. Sarah will be there. Read her coverage. Star Tribune, startribune.com. Appreciate it, Sarah. We'll talk soon. Take care. Good stuff from Sarah. But like I said at the beginning of the show, um, a kind of postscript to our conversation. This all happened after I talked to Sarah. Um, maybe just as, you know, as they're trying to prepare for the draft tonight, this story emerging from Russia, um, a Russian newspaper reporting Wednesday, I'm reading from Sarah's story, Kirill Kaprizov, um, they, they're reporting that he returned to the United States after the Flyers goalie prospect um, Ivan Fadatov was taken to a remote military base in northern Russia because his name was linked to fraudulent military identification. And there's some concern that Kaprizov will be, get caught up in this swirl. Now, while General Manager Bill Guerin addressed this, saying Kaprizov is still in Russia, doing well, um, and he said he's with his friends and with his family, um, he said he's not overly concerned. Uh, he said uh, he said that about, about Kaprizov going home to Russia a while ago, and he said, he said on Wednesday, all I'm trying to do is get information and not jump the gun or push the panic button on anything. Um, that's still, though, that's not the most optimistic um, tone, I guess. This is just something that, with all the uncertainty, obviously, in Russia right now, you would love to get some sort of report 
um, sometime relatively soon that Kaprizov is for sure going to be able to return to Minnesota in time for training camp, things of that nature. But it sounds like the situation with the Flyers goalie is pretty serious. You know, Chuck Fletcher, the new general manager with the Flyers, saying, I think it's best that I limit my public comments on the matter. It's obviously a sensitive situation. We're doing our best to stay abreast of developments, and that's probably the best way to leave it. Um, so that is uh, something, you know, last year it was the Kaprizov contract extension. That was a much nicer problem. In this case, again, I think Garen's right. Try not to jump the gun or push the panic button, but you don't like to hear things like this. Would love to hear that Kaprizov, of course, is returning to Minnesota. So keep an eye on that story as time goes on. Okay, we got to talk Twins for a minute here. We've talked a lot about them on the show already this week, but they lost a bunch of leads to the White Sox on Wednesday, weren't able to finish off a sweep of that series. Chicago rallies, wins 9-8 to in 10 innings. Bullpen had another meltdown. Emilio Pagan had another meltdown. But Joe Ryan also lost a couple of those leads, um, only went four innings in the game, disappointing for him after being handed a pretty comfortable, you know, comfortable edge three to one going into the fourth inning. And then again, um, you know, not being able to get through the rest of that game, just kind of struggling. He's been good this year, but that was a disappointing thing, but it was, it was everybody. It was a group effort, but what I would say is this. Everybody complaining about the bullpen, and there's legitimate gripes. The Twins need to get more from their starting pitching right now. They're not getting enough from their starting pitching. The, the ERA for the starters is good, but the Twins' bullpen has been tasked with 340 and one-thirds innings. That's the third most in the majors. They don't get the benefit of you know just the starters getting getting out there and getting you know, not exposed as much. The bullpen is getting a little bit too exposed in these cases and makes that makes it easy to pick them apart. Bullpen ERA is 16th in the majors right now. That is not great, but that is average. And, you know, they, they're put, put in these situations that were, you know, end of game, you remember what the bullpen did. You don't remember so much what the starters did. So I would say... If you are thinking about this team and thinking about the context of the Twins going forward, yes, I think they need more bullpen help, but I also think they need more help from the starting rotation getting deeper into games so they're not getting into these games where they're using four, five, six relievers. Now, some of that's on Rocco Baldelli and some of that's on the plan. Try to get these guys a little bit deeper if they can. I'm sure they would have loved to get Joe Ryan a little bit deeper if he was a little bit more effective, but he he did throw 85 pitches in those four innings, just was not particularly sharp in that game. So as much as you like to blame the bullpen, think about the starters in the context of can they work a little deeper into games as the year goes along. And let's finish with the cooler, the Lynx, red hot, and maybe probably wishing they could just keep playing right now, going into the All-Star break, another big win for them. They beat Chicago they are now 8-15 and 15 overall, which doesn't sound great, but think about now they've won five of their last seven, including two in a row against the two best teams in the WNBA, the big one Wednesday going into the break, an 81-78 win over Chicago in the matinee at Target Center. So, you know, they're still 11th in the WNBA, but they're closing in a little bit more on a potential playoff spot, playing much better basketball right now. So after that doom and gloom start, some rays of hope for the Lynx this season. 
That'll do it for today. Chip Scoggins coming up on Friday show. We got to talk about USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. The big story that broke late last week. Love having Chip's thoughts on that. Cover does a great job covering college sports. Has a passion for that. What does it mean for college sports? What does it mean for the Gophers? What does it mean for the Big Ten and beyond? So that will all be on Friday's show. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Be back at it again on Friday.